Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We are so excited to have you with us. We hope this message will encourage and inspire you to walk out your God-given vision. Now here's today's message. Hey, I wanted to recap a couple of things from last week because last week we talked about being decisive. But one of the things that we talked about was the phrase, God is in control. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, God is in control? Or you've said that phrase. How many of you are willing to admit I've said that phrase? Okay, I am. Okay, thank you for your honesty. Um, So we read this scripture in Psalms 115 verse 16 that says this. It says, the heavens belong to the Lord. I'm reading out of the NLT. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. The heaven belongs to God, but he's given the earth to all humanity. So let me kind of put that in perspective. When my daughter first started driving, I handed her the keys. She just got her license, handed her the keys for the first time, and she took my car, and she drove it down a busy street in Louisville, Kentucky, and went to the store. And she came back, and glory to God, she came back with the car, and it was in one piece. You know, but how does that relate to this scripture? Here's how, is that I, I was in charge of the car. I own the car. I paid the insurance on the car. The car's in my name. But how many of you know I'm not in control of the car when she's driving the car? Who's in control of it? She is. So God has done the same thing. He has the deed on this thing. He's paid the insurance on the earth, but he's given control to us, hasn't he? And so I didn't get to do this last week, and oh, I wish I would have. I had a $100 bill in my pocket, and I forgot all about it because My daughter was promised by a businessman in Louisville, Kentucky, when she turned 16, she got her license for the first time, he found out. He said, listen, uh, if you make it through the entire year until you're 17 without an accident, I'll give you $100. Well, life happened, and we, you know, we lost touch with this guy, and so he never gave her the $100. So I had that $100 in my pocket to give it to her last week, and so did I give it to you? Okay, so we just wanted to rejoice with Rebecca because she made it through that whole year without having an accident. So how many of you know that's a big deal? It's a big deal. So anyway, I want to talk to you this morning about something a little interesting. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter? If you brought your Bible with you, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to show you a picture here, and so I'm going to ask them to just show the one first picture and just stay right there. And then I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, or I'll cue you to go through them. This is a picture in San Benito, Texas. Uh, down in Harlingen, Texas, we were doing some ministry. And San Benito is right next door to Harlingen. And this is a lake house that's about 30 minutes from San Benito. And it sits on a tributary, which is a body of water that eventually goes to the ocean. And, and you can see the water running behind. Now, this was our view from the cabin. It was a really cool place to stay. I, you know, I enjoyed it there. It was an A-frame cabin, really pretty. And so the next picture, you can see off in the distance there is a dock. So go to the next picture there. And this next picture is actually a video. And Nicole's talking about the dock. This was our last night in this beautiful area. But you see this dock, and you see about four inches from the dock is the water, right? Well, the water was super murky. And I have a thing about putting my hands or feet in water that I can't see in. It's just a personal issue, okay? I'm working through it. But I don't do that. I don't like to put my feet in somewhere where I can't see. So one night, I was on this dock 
on that other part, right by the water where you saw. And I looked over, and I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops, and I look over, and I'm, I mean, the water's right there, and I see something in the water. I can't tell what it is. But it has, it has a red color to it. It looks bumpy. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, man, what is that, a stump or something? I mean, a piece of wood, something in the water. Well, I went back, and I said something to Nicole, turned around and went back to that same spot, and it was gone. And I went, oh, wonder what that, now I'm really not putting my foot in the water, <laughs> right? And so let me show you what I saw in the water. We saw it the next day. That was what was in the water. Yeah, that's bumpy and a little red. And so, so I had this feeling on the inside of me, just kind of my heart started beating faster, realizing I was prey there for a moment, that he was considering... <laughs> You know, I mean, why would he be that close if he didn't see something? And he saw me. And you know how that makes you feel? Well, here's what I want, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about demonic strategy. Because this is what the devil does. You don't see him coming. So many people think the enemy is just, he's right out there in the open. I mean, he's going to come strolling down the street with his pitchfork and his pointy tail and his little horns. And you're going to totally see them coming from miles away. But that's not how it happens. Demonic strategy is always behind the scenes. You can't see it coming. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now I looked up that word sober and look, listen to what it says. Sober means free from illusion from the intoxicating influences of sin. If you want something to blind you at being able to see demonic strategy, it would be sin in your life. Why? Because it desensitizes you in the spirit realm. You're not able to see as clearly. So that first word was sober, but look at the second word. He said be, vi be vigilant, right? Vigilant means to take heed lest some destructive calamity suddenly overtake you. And then... He goes on to say that the devil is, he goes about like, like a roaring lion, a ro seeking whom, whom he may devour, right? That word like means pretending to be. So notice he's going about like a roaring lion. He isn't a lion. There's one lion, and we sang about him this morning. This morning, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Can I get an amen about that? Amen. Okay. All right, I'll make you talk to me this morning a little bit. It's okay if you do, by the way. But... He, there's only one lion, and that's the Lord. See, the enemy, he wishes he was a lion. He wishes he could do things like that. Notice devourer means to gulp. It means to consume in entirety. You know, I think about when I married Nicole, I married two toy poodles. Okay, I was not a poodle guy. We had man dogs when I was growing up. How many, how many men can give me an amen? They're outside dogs. You know, they're the big kind. So I, have, I married these two little poodles, too. And they were cute, and, I, and I, I grew to love them. But at first, I was like, got that little poodle haircut and thing. You know, anyway. But she had this little tiny one, and he, uh, seriously, he was no bigger than this. And his name was Pepper. And one time, you tell the story about how you bought a pizza. You guys got a pizza. And he got a hold of it. And he literally had one piece, and he was like a snake. Like he was inhaling this piece of pizza. Okay, that's gulping, by the way. Okay. So 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. let's see what else the Bible has to say about the devil. It says Satan, in verse 14, 
disguises himself as an angel of light. Think about that. Huh. Okay, this is a wolf wearing sheep's clothing. Man, he's put on an outfit. He's put on a disguise. And you can't tell that he's there. You, you don't see him coming unless you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you. And he's able to reveal it to you. Unless you're walking in your life free from sin, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So think about this. I watched a documentary. Uh, I don't remember how many years ago it was. I want to say a few years back. I watched a documentary and it was about CIA. The CIA. And they were doing this episode on training uh, spies. And I thought, oh, this would be really interesting. So in my mind, what's the first thing you think of when you think spy? Maybe, you know, a Tom Cruise type character or something like that. You know, men in black. I don't know. But, you know, some, some kind of spy, right? He's wearing this suit and he's got the sunglasses on and he drives really cool cars, 007, right? Well, that's not their picture of the CIA. So they're training these guys. And guess what their spies look like? They were, they were tailing a guy that was in a mall and it was a grandma and, a, and her 16-year-old grandson. They were the spies. And I just went, whoa. You know, because when they were showing all the people, they asked you to pick out who you thought would be a spy. Well, I was looking for the most shady character, you know. I mean, the guy in the suit couldn't find him, and it was the grandma. So, see what I mean? Angel of light. You can't see it coming. All right? So, here's an important fact to remember. The devil is not an equal to God. Why? He was an angel. He would, more, he would be more equivalent on the level to like a Gabriel or a Michael. I don't even think he's probably a, an equivalent to Michael. I mean, these are warring angels, and I don't remember reading about how the devil, uh, Lucifer, was a warring angel. He was more, did more worship, you know, and those types of things. So I'm not even sure he's equivalent to that. But here's the point is that he's not omnipresent. He's not all places at one time. He can't keep up with everything. So he has to try and deceive and create habit in a person's life so they'll damage themselves on their own. Think about this. I was reading a statistic. Um, most, it was, it was a wow statistic, but it was talking about young women, young men, and it gave a percent, and forgive me because I don't remember what the percent was, but it was high. It was over 60%. I do remember that. Of young men and young women who have seen pornography by the age of 11. Have seen it. Why? Why, why, why am I bringing that up? Because he, the devil knows if I can start people early, then I can create a bondage in their life that will carry through their life. If I can program them early, I mean, it, it, Hitler said that. He, I think he kind of revealed demonic strategy in something he said. He said, if you give me the youth of a nation, I'll take that nation. Why? Because I can program them early and I can make them believe what I want them to believe so that they'll live that out and that will become their reality in their life. Man, and that's the way he works. So last week... I made a statement, I, I actually gave you a quote by Roy Disney, and I wanted to give that quote again. This is the quote. He said, it is not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that 
today by making a statement. Here's the statement. You can't have truth without having a clear understanding of right and wrong. Without a clear understanding of right and wrong, there is no truth. Would you agree with that? Okay. Well, let's, think of, let's look at a couple of scriptures here. John, I'm gonna, these are three in the book of John. The first one is John chapter 8, verse 32. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right? So if you know the truth, it's that truth that will make you free. John 17, 17 says, your word is truth. So God's word is the truth that we should know. Jesus, you remember, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus was the word that became flesh, and so he was the truth, right? And to quote my great, 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 great uncle, Davy Crockett, he said, be sure you are right, and then go ahead. That's his famous quote, but anyway. So, but you have to be sure that you're right first. But here's what, here's the plan of demonic strategy. The plan of demonic strategy is to derail the truth in your life. If you have no clear definition of truth, then you can't get free. Let me, let me show you what I mean. So, so here's, here's some plans of demonic strategy. One is to create confusion. Turn over to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And you remember Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. You remember God has created this beautiful place. He's created this garden. He's given them every herb-bearing seed. He's told them to be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over all the earth. I'm giving it to you. He gave control uh, of the earth over to them. And notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. The, the enemy sneaks in the garden. He takes on the form of a serpent. And look at what he says. He says to the woman who's looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had already told her, hey, don't eat. You can eat of any tree in the garden. Don't look, you know, don't eat the tree from this or the fruit from this tree. And what does the enemy wants to do? He wants her to focus on the one thing she, she's not supposed to have. And so at the tree, he says to the woman, did God really say? Notice that statement. Did God really say, you must not eat from the tree of the garden? So look at those first three words. Did God really say? So the first thing he tries to do is to create confusion about what God said. See, demonic strategy questions what God says. I saw a bumper sticker that says, question everything. And, you know, it's important to grow and to learn and to ask good questions. But one thing that we should have established in our life is what right, what is right, and what is wrong. In our life. Otherwise, again, we have no clear definition of what truth is in our life. Hmm. Otherwise, because the enemy's strategy is to pervert the truth. So, and to confuse us in that. So, because demonic strategy will say this. It'll say, hey, you know, I can go ahead and do this because God will forgive me. Demonic strategy says, oh, it's not a fetus. It's not a baby. It's a fetus. Demonic strategy says, are you really a boy? Maybe you're a girl. Maybe, you know, maybe the conveyor belt was going down and, and you know, one of the angels, you know, it was a Monday after a long weekend. He came in and he said, no, no, you know, I know we're supposed to put a man's heart in this body because it's a boy. He said, but let's, let's put a woman's heart in here. 
Really? Really? That's what demonic strategy does. What does it do? It's trying to confuse what God created as truth. See, what God created as truth is, is that your DNA tells you what you are. Your anatomy tells you what you are. Right? And one thing that we should do is we should rejoice in God's choice for us. Man, if he made you, be a, if he made you a man, be a man. I mean, why not rejoice and thrive in the way that he's designed you and created you to be? Well, you don't understand, Pastor Bill, I'm having these feelings. Yeah, well, feeling, I have feelings, too. And let me tell you, if you're married and you, have the, and you wake up one morning and you feel like you're not married, just go ahead and tell your wife about your feelings. She'll set you straight real quick. Oh, you're married. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'll show you you're married. You know? I mean, feelings come and go. Feelings do not jurisdict who you really are. Amen. Good word, Pastor Bill. <laughs> so, so let me say a couple more things on that. All right? Because grace empowers us to walk in what God has called us to. All right? Grace is not the permission to go and live what I want, only to still receive all the blessings that God has for my life. Because it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. See, if we remain unclean, if we remain unclean and look like the world, how can we help them? We're supposed to come away and be separate, not pull out of life, not live in a house in a hut somewhere out in the wilderness. That's not what God has called us to do. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Amen? So, so walk in that way. We should walk in a way that is convicting to people around us. I don't mean to pick out my wife uh, on this, but she, she eats healthy, and she's good at it. And I reap the benefit of it because I live in the same house as her. And so she doesn't buy ding-dongs and Twinkies and stuff and have them in the pantry. So I go to the pantry, and I look in the pantry, and all it is is ingredients. And you know me, I'm a guy. I'm looking for a snack. What in the world can I eat as a snack? And so I've noticed with her, um, and we do have, you know, snack options. Most of it's like fruits, nuts, healthy stuff. And so we'll go out and eat, and without doubt, you know, we'll eat with a, with a family or a couple, and she'll uh, order, and right away they'll be like, oh, wow, you, you eat really healthy. I mean, I don't know if they just, but it's like their heart gets convicted. <laughs> you know what I mean? By that, am I okay with this, honey? She's, she's, she's going, please stop. Please stop. Okay, I just wanted to use it as an example, okay? So those of you that go out and eat with us today, you're going to be watching what Nicole orders, I know. Okay, so number two. So that first one was creating, creating confusion. That's what, that's what it tries to do. That's what demonic strategy tries to do. The other thing it tries to do is it tries to steal your identity. It tries to steal your identity. Let me tell you, so many people are looking for acceptance in the li- how many likes they have. On their Instagram, on their Facebook, they're comparing likes. You know, that's one of the reasons Facebook's is, and Facebook is looking at doing away with the likes. They're testing it, I heard, in Canada, and they're, they're talking about getting rid of the likes because they don't want to be accused of people's self-confidence. Well, let me tell you, people's self-confidence shouldn't be in how many likes they have or don't have. Your confidence should be in who God has created you to be. Man, 
Because if you live by praise, you're going to die by criticism. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says. It says, he made us accepted. He made us accepted. Do I need to make that statement again? That if you live by praise, you'll die by criticism. So he's accepted you. He loves you. Man, I love that David Crowder song, Oh, How He Loves Me. You know, I'm always game for a sloppy wet kiss from my wife. Um, but, and God, I just, I'm just saying. Um, not trying to gross anybody out. But listen to this story I found. I thought this was so interesting. This is a beautiful uh, story of this woman in, uh, in California. It says, there was a very unusual military funeral in California in December 2013. There was a sergeant, uh, first class Joseph Gant, who fought in World War II. He fought in the Korean War. He was laid to rest. He had been captured in Korea in 1950, and he died that following year. But his body was never returned, and his death was never confirmed in North Korea. And so his wife, Clara, wanted... Uh, she w wanted for decades for her husband to come back and she regularly um, went to meetings and government officials seeking information about what had happened. Clara even brought a house, bought a house and had it professionally landscaped so that all, uh, so all Joseph would have to do was to come home and just go fishing. She was 94 years old when his remains were finally found and he was brought home for military honors. And it wasn't the homecoming that she dreamed of. But she finally knew what had happened. Clara told a reporter. She said, he told me, if anything happens to me, I want you to remarry. She told him, no, no. Here I am, still his wife. And I'm going to remain his wife until the day the Lord calls me home. <laughs> Give me a minute. Pull myself together. <laughs> All right. Isn't that beautiful? She loved her husband so much. And God's love goes way beyond that for you. Do you realize how much he loves you? No, I mean, do you really know? Have you spent time with him on your knees? Because here's where you discover how much he loves you. It's when you go home, you close the door to your bedroom, you get down on your knees, you turn on the worship music, you, and, and it's just you and your Bible. And, oh, forgive me, you humbly admit God, I don't know how much you love me. Show me. Love, acceptance, what about forgiveness? Let me tell you how the devil keeps you from your future. He keeps you focused on your past, what you've done, how you've messed up, what you've done wrong in your life, all those times you missed it. All those times. He wants to keep you focused in hindsight. And if he can't keep you focused back there, he wants to keep, keep you focused on what people are thinking about you today. How they feel about you. How they treated you. Why? Because he's trying to keep you from your future. And here's the deal. Once your past is forgiven, God doesn't care about it anymore. He says, I remember it no more. I, and let me put that in perspective for you. There was a minister I saw that had given an altar call, and this man came forward. And you could see on this man's face, I mean, he'd had a lot of mileage of hard times in his life. It was just, you know, apparent. And drug abuse, you know, and some things. His, his cheeks were sucked in, and, you know, he had scars and stuff. And, and it, it was just apparent he'd had a hard life. And he came, and he came to give 
his life to Jesus. And that minister looked at him and he said, he said, sir, I want to tell you something. He said, I have a brand new grandbaby. She's two weeks old. He said, if I had her here right now and I held her up, this little two-week-old grandbaby, he said, do you know that she would have more of a past than you do? Man, does that put it in perspective? Why? Because he had given his life to the Lord. He asked forgiveness, and God washed him clean. See, we're the ones that remember the past. It's, and the reason we do is because we haven't put our identity fully in Christ yet. Because if we put our identity fully in Christ, then we would forget our past. You don't have a past when your identity is in Christ, when you've been forgiven. How many of you believe that? Because some of you are looking at me like, uh, uh, no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's gone. You are a new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Have you ever seen those classic cars whenever they take those classic cars and they redo them? I mean, I'm talking a complete from the ground up, body off of the chassis rebuild. I mean, it is brand new. And man, the paint is beautiful. You look at, you know, when you go to a car show, you're not supposed to touch the cars. Okay, right? <laughs> you don't want to scratch them. Don't want to, why? Because they're in mint condition. That's what God did in your life. He took you, and he, only he made you new and improved. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Ben Franklin said this. He said, what you would seem to be, be really. Wow, what a powerful statement. I mean, when you find out who your identity is in Christ, I don't have to put on, I don't have to pretend I'm, I'm this person. God has made me. A person. And when I get free from this person, when I get free from myself, I get free from everybody else. Because I don't care what you think. Because I'm free on the inside. Man, isn't that a freeing feeling when you don't care what people think? Why? Because I'm, I'm concerned about one person, and that's Jesus. God, what do you think? Am I pleasing to you? Man, revelations. And Oh, well, let's go on to the next one. Okay, so I talked about steal your identity. The last one is he wants to contaminate your covenant. Contaminate your covenant. And I was, I was trying to think of a way to explain that. And, and so I, God took me to Numbers chapter 22. There was a guy by the name of Balaam. He was a prophet. Remember Balaam? And there was a king, the king of Moab. And the king of Moab, he was afraid because the Israelites were coming into the promised land. So he knew the prophecy. He knew that the Israelites were going to destroy all the nations, and they were going to take up residency in their land. And so the king of Moab said, Balaam, I need you to come, and I need you to curse Israel. And so they went to a certain place, and, and they offered sacrifices, and he looked down on the children of Israel, and Balaam said, okay, but I can only say what God says to say. And so he begins to try and curse them, and blessing comes out of his mouth, and he blesses Israel. And he does this several times until the king of Moab gets mad and says, listen, shut up <laughs> don't say anything else I'm asked you to curse them and you've blessed them these three times and he said listen I told you I can only say what God put in my mouth to say but then Balaam said look I can't curse them they're God's anointed God won't let me curse them he said but I'll tell you how you get, get to them he said you make a covenant with them and you, and you marry 
your, your daughters to their sons. He said, and what will happen is they'll begin to worship idols. And they'll begin to sacrifice the idols. And then they'll begin to, they'll, they'll begin to commit fornication and adultery. And sin will cause them to stumble. And do you know that's exactly what happened? And that's what the enemy is trying to do to people who are in covenant with God. But he's still enticing them to have sin in their life. It's not okay for us to have sin in our life. And you say, well, Phil, who can live sinless? Only Jesus could live sinless. I mean, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, we all have. But now I've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what I've discovered is that when I love God more, when I love him more than TV, when I love him more than these habits and addictions that have tried to come into my life, when I love him more, I don't want to do anything to mess up this. He said, what do you mean by that? I mean, like, there was a man, and they asked me to pray for this man, and he had a big tumor on his neck, and I reached over, and I prayed for him, and let me tell you, it was the weakest prayer I've ever prayed. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? Can I be transparent here? It was, a, it was a terrible prayer. I said, God, I wish I could have that back. And, you, and I remembered after I prayed for him, uh, I left, and I went back, and I saw him later, and do you know he came running up to me? He said, Pastor Phil, Pastor Phil. He said, Remember, you prayed for me? And I was like, yeah, please don't remind me. It was terrible, you know. And he said, my tumor's gone. And I realized, okay, wait a minute. It's not about me. I'm making it about me. It was about this. It's a, man, God flows through us to other people. And so then it enables us so that we're in restaurants. Like I was in a restaurant the other day picking up something for Nicole. And I was talking to the owner. And she was... and. She just had this frustrated, upset look on her face. And I, I, I said, I said, what's going on with you? you? You don't look very happy. I was just being honest with her. And she said, well, I'm not. She said, you know, my restaurant, we just moved here. We had this other restaurant and we moved to this new location. And now I have to put a hood in, and, you know, so that we can cook meals. And the hood's costing about eighteen to $20,000. And I have to work with the city. I have to go through all the permitting. And the city is not very nice. And I don't speak very good English. And when she got done explaining everything to you, I said, do you mind if I pray for you? That God will give you favor with the city? That he'll give you favor with the hood people? So that you're not hoodwinked? I was just teasing. That's a bad joke. Bad joke. Okay, I'll let that one go. Okay, we'll just shake that off. But I said, can I just pray for you? And she said, yeah. And so I said, here, give me your hand. And so I began to pray for her. And then her husband came out, and she had Nicole's food. he had Nicole's food and brought, brought me food. And I said, I said, how are you? Because he had the same look on his face. I said, how are you two doing? Because now she's smiling. I said, how are you two doing in your marriage? I mean, I know this puts stress on marriage when you go through situations like this. And he said, she said, yes, would you pray that we would draw closer to God? Would you pray? And, and, and he said the same thing. I said, come on, guys. Man. And so what's happening? Now God has opened up an opportunity here to minister his love to other people. But man, see, so I can't, I can't risk messing this up because there's people that need God's love. There's people that need his love through you. And man, where we're living for God, when he's the number one desire, when, when Matthew 6.33 
is what's in our, is our number one goal that we're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things are added to us. So then we don't have to go looking for things because they'll get added to us. Wow. Man. But it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. You know, I hear some people say, well, you know, if you do it in moderation, it's okay. Really? How many people do you know are truly moderate? When they do things. I, I heard Keith Moore share this story. And I thought it was, I thought it was funny. Uh, I, I mean it goes right along with this. He was talking about how he really likes Corvettes. And so he went to a Chevy dealership. And they had a Corvette sitting on the showroom floor. And he went in to look it over. Because he just loves that car. Likes it. I shouldn't use the word love. And so you know he really likes these cars. And so he's looking at the car. Salesman comes up and he says. Can I help you? And he said no. I'm just looking. So then the salesman, he said, turned around and looked at him and said, that's where it starts. Moderation. I, 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 can just, I can just do a little. It's all right. Yeah, but that's where it starts. That's where it starts. Man, here's Satan's greatest fear. Let me share this with you. I'm going to ask the keys to go ahead and come. Satan's greatest fear is that you would become who God has called you to be. That's his greatest fear, is that you would become who God has called you to be a person of focus, influence, and dominion. I know I told a Bill Johnson joke here earlier, but I want to quote him because he, he made this statement. He said, you can't find your identity apart from obedience. You can't find your identity apart from obedience. So how will you recognize demonic strategy? You need the Holy Spirit. The first thing that we talked about was that you need to live before God with a pure heart, clean hands. How do you do that? You live sin free. You say, Phil, it's impossible for me to live sin free. I know that's why Jesus died on the cross. It's so that you would turn back to him. But what happens is, is when a person sins, the enemy tries immediately to convict his heart and, say, and, and tells him, you can't go back to God. I mean, you knew better and you sinned anyway. And tries to convince you that God's forgiveness is still not there for you. It's not there for you anymore. Not on this one. Maybe on the last one. No, but you can, you can be forgiven. God can create a clean heart in you once again. Wow. I was telling my family, I was telling my family the other day that <clears throat> I heard this story about this prostitute. And she had been with I don't, hundreds of men. Hundreds of men, this prostitute. And what happened was she got born again and she gave her life fully to God. I mean, full on. She was all in. She was like Mary Magdalene, man. I mean, she was all in. And you know what happened? This guy in the church fell in love with her. And she was like, she didn't know what to do with that. She said, I spent my whole life. How can I receive love? I... I don't deserve it. So she told her pastor, she said, I don't, I don't deserve it. And he said, well, sweetheart, he said, you know what? He said, my Bible says that, that your life, when you give it to God, the sin can no longer stain your life. That God can remove the stain of sin in your life. He said, let me pray with you. 
let's believe God that the stain of sin would be removed from your life, from your heart. And so she said, okay. Just like, pray. I prayed for her. She said, I, I, feel, I feel different on the inside. I feel different. I feel changed. And she said, her and this man were, they were married. And when they came to get together the first time, she lost her virginity. God restored her. Do you believe that God can restore you? Do you? Man. You say, well, how am I going to recognize it? Well, the first way is to make sure your heart is pure and your hands are clean. The second way is you need the help of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one that gives red flags. He's the one that tells you what's going on. Uh, you know, reveals. He can uncover demonic strategy in your life. Think about it this way. There was a man by the name of Elisha. And there was a king, the king of Aram. And the king of Aram, their nation was at war with Israel. And the king of Aram told, told his guys he would, he would take them into the secret chambers. And they would talk about their war and their strategy and what they were going to do. And then Elisha, God would tell Elisha by the Spirit of God. And Elisha would send word to the king of Israel. And he said, listen, uh, the king of Aram is going to be here. He, he's, he has mobilized his troops and they're going to be in this area. Don't go there. And he sent spies out and sure enough, it was exactly the way Elisha said. And so this happened so many times that the king of Aram began to get frustrated. He was like, who of you is telling Israel my every move, everything that we do? And they said, King, none of us. But there's a man by the name of Elisha. And he tells them the secret things that you say in your chambers. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. You can't outwit Satan. He's been around. He's been doing this a long time. You can't outwit him by yourself. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can live an amazing life. You say, well, Pastor Phil, I mean, this is all well and good. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I know I should be living better. I know I should be walking free from sin in my life, but I just got to tell you I'm not not and I, I don't see how you can I don't see that I can do it you, you can't do it by yourself you need the Holy Spirit on the inside of you you need to fall in love with Jesus again and to love Jesus so much that you wouldn't want to do anything to mess up your relationship with him and I, I, I some people have said I just can't do it you know one guy told me I, I, I can't stop smoking I've tried I just can't stop and and he really had a desire to quit smoking and I thought of my dad who smoked for all those years and do you know when I was three years old I used to steal my dad's cigarettes you remember the little barns that you had you know when I was a kid I had this little barn you open the door and when you open the door I didn't sound like a cow but you know and 
up in the top in that hayloft, I would take dad's cigarettes and hide the whole pack up in there. And then he'd get home and say, anybody see my cigarettes? Where my cigarettes go? Because oh, <laughs> he would smoke, you know, and we would get in the car and he would smoke and he would put the window down just enough thinking that all the smoke is blowing out but it's all blowing right back on me and my sisters and we're coughing gagging well here's what happened my dad went to the doctor the doctors took a picture of his lung they did a health check and they put the picture they put a picture of dad's lung up and then they put a picture of a lung up of someone who had smoked their entire life and this lung was almost totally black I don't know if you've ever seen it. Some of you that are in the medical field have seen this. You know, it's totally black. Dad's lung was clear, except he had a little black cloud that was starting. And he said, listen, you've only been smoking for so long, but this is a result of your smoking. He said, and if you keep it up, this is where you're headed. So if you're here this morning and you're, you're sinning just a little, a little. It's no big deal. It's in moderation. I'm working on it. What does that mean you're working on it? Does that mean you were sleeping with three women, now you're down to one? I mean, what does that mean? I'm working on it. I, I just got to be honest with you this morning. We're, we're, we're to a point in life now that we have to be all in. We have to be hot or cold. There's no in-between. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Vision Church, vision for life.